Morning. I said in the first service that it was 29 years ago, and I've got to learn not to try to do math in my head. 28 years ago, uh, I preached my first sermon ever at a little church plant in Grand Rapids in the bottom, the basement of an office building. And uh, this cute woman showed up that day uh, to hear, and she met my mom, and she met my old girlfriend, and she met uh, my dad, it was a very awkward first sermon, but that was the day that Lynn told me she liked me. <laughs> so 10 months later, we were married. Um, I, did make her, I did make her tell me first. So um, we talked on the phone. I was stuck in a snowstorm right downtown Holland. She was back in Chicago that evening. And um, I asked her why she, she'd been on a spiritual retreat. And I asked her what she was praying about. And she said, this, this, and this. And the second one was us. I said, let's go back to number two there for a minute. So... I'm just a big enough coward to not want to say it first. Um, we're in the gospel according to Mark. We're, I, I know we've been kind of going chapter by chapter, but I can't do justice to the first part of Mark 5 without including the last part of Mark 4. Because when we look at, when, we, when you open your Bible and you look at it, you'll see these chapters and verses and these sections that kind of divide up. When, when, the, when Mark authored this gospel, he didn't divide it up like that. Um, so it seems like a nice place to take a break, but if you do the work and, and look at the background, you'll notice that everything that happens in the calming of the sea is related to everything that happens when Jesus meets the man possessed by the multitude of demons that calls it themselves a legion. So I want to make, so we're going to do the, the last part of four, first part of Mark, and there's a lot to cover. So I'm just going to, I told the guys I needed a little bit more time today. Um, it's not going to be much longer than normal, but just hang in there. And if you've got a Bible in front of you, sometimes they're under the chairs. Uh, I, I urge you to open up. Mark is about that far in. So it's New Testament. When you, if, you, if you're flipping through and you see things like, see Malachi and then Matthew, and then you're going to find Mark. It's the three M's right there in a row. Uh, and it's Chapter 4, right at the end, it's called That Jesus Calms the Storm. And I, I want to, just so you know what's been going on, we, last week we talked about Jesus was in the, Mark's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is just teaching, just telling people what the kingdom of God is like. He's no longer arguing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, or the Herodians. He's now speaking in parables. But what we will see is he will take on another group of entities. He will have a conversation with the demons he won't talk in, in plain terms any longer with, with, with the religious people, but he'll, those people, those things that know who he is, he'll take them on word for word. And we get to see some of that today. Um, but what, last week we talked about the lamp on the stand and we talked about the measure and that word because I want this person to hurt because they hurt me. And if we get rid of the because, then we have two independent things. Uh, I want this person to hurt. This person hurt me. You get rid of that part. I just want this person to hurt. That's what it comes down to. And Jesus says that's not the way we're supposed to act. And then the, the parable of the growing seed that the kingdom of God is going to grow whether we want it to or not. The parable of the mustard seed, again, once it, once it takes root, it's going to grow. And Jesus is going to show them how that works. And so he says, we're going to, and I've got to give you a little background. He, he says, we're going to go to the other side of the lake, okay? Now, that's the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Tiberias, I believe. But it, it's just a lake. It's a big lake. But it's just a lake. It's not like Lake Michigan. It's not that kind of big lake. But they, they called it the, the, the Sea of Tiberias, the, the Sea of Galilee. There's a lake named for it. But picture, picture the boats that they were on. I have a 17-foot bass boat. 
And I fish tournaments in the summer. Kyle Borst always beats me. Not this year, though. Um, and there are times when we fish Mona Lake, Muskegon Lake. We fish the Grand River. We fish Lake Mac, uh, Spring Lake. There are times when if you, if you have a fast enough boat, and I've just got a 90 horse, it'll go about 45 miles an hour. If, if I'm alone, it doesn't have a full tank of gas, and I've lost a couple of pounds. But 17 feet. Now, there are times when people will take off from one lake because they know of a good spot. They'll run down Lake Michigan 30, 40 miles so that they can fish alone in this spot where there's not all this pressure. But my boat is small enough that if there's a two-foot swell on Lake Michigan, I'm not going anywhere near it because it will either flip upside down, I will puncture through a wave, or I will be ejected from the seat. So it's scary in, in, in bigger seas in my little boat. These boats that these men fished in weren't all that big. You might get five, six, seven guys in it, but, and they weren't made out of fiberglass with reinforced transoms and all that kind of stuff. They were just planks of wood, maybe some tied-in reeds with some sap that kind of held these things together. So when they get afraid when this storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, you can understand that they're terrified that if their boat sinks, they're going to die. But here, there's more going on. This is that part that, that, that pastors, we try hard. We don't, always, we don't always nail it, but we try hard to let you know what was going on there. So there's the them and the there. And then we try to translate it to the us and the now or the us and the here. Here's what we may not know about the Sea of Galilee and this region of the, of, of the, of the world. Jesus, up until this point, has been in the Capernaum area and Galilee, and that's kind of home turf. That's, that's Jew, a Jewish stronghold. Now, there are other people. Uh, there are Romans that are there, that kind of thing. But by and large, that's, that's like the light side of the force, so to speak. And across the Sea of Galilee is the dark side. I mean, quite literally, where the demons live. There's the, this, play, this, this region they talk about, the Decapolis. Deca is 10. So it's just 10 cities. And this one little area within the Decapolis called the, the Gerasenes, it is quite, in their mind, that's where the enemies of God live. Not just physical, not just Roman soldiers or just pagan people, but they actually worship demon, demons, demonic gods, little g. And the Sea of Galilee is also known as the abyss. That is where the God, with a little g, the demon, uh, uh, the demons of chaos and weather live. So when you remember when Jesus says something like, um, hey, don't keep the little ones from coming to me. If you keep a little, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your leg and thrown into the abyss. That's the Sea of Galilee. Offshore, but the Sea of Galilee is the abyss. It is, it is the biggest fear. Every horror film you've ever seen, every, every deep down, and you can say superstitious. I don't believe it's superstitious, but superstitious fear that you have. Everything that, that hell could be is at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. So when they go out there and the storm rises up, they have reason to be afraid they also have reason to be afraid of where God, Jesus is, who's God with skin on, God and Abad, where he's asking them to go. So keep in mind, he just said, you're not going to hide a lamp under a bushel. He just said, hey, careful on, on the measure that you use because it will be measured to you. He just said the kingdom of God, whether you're looking at it or not, is going to grow. And once it takes root, you can't get rid of it. And then he says this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Let's go to enemy territory. Let's go to the place that you had nightmares about when you were a child. That's how big of a deal this is. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats 
with him. A furious squall came up, and I'm just going to pause there, make myself a little mark so I know where I stop. Furious squall. In the Greek, in Mark, this word for furious squall is the same word that they would use to describe an earthquake. So this isn't, this isn't like if you're out on Lake Michigan and the storm's coming in and you're like, oh, it's going to be a big one. It's going to be windy. It's going to be rainy. It's one of those that you see the storm coming in on Lake Michigan. You get in your car and you run home and you get in the basement kind of storm. Okay? This is the kind of storm that, that you're afraid if you're out on the water and it comes up. It's just going to, the water's going to part. You're going to sink to the bottom. It's going to come back on and, and destroy you. It's that furious squall, earthquake. It's a big, big problem. A furious squall came up and the, the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So they're about, to, they're about to go under into the pit of hell. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. And by the way, cushion there is probably a, a bag of sand like we would use for, for storms. You know, when people do sandbagging, they put it up when there's going to be a flood. Because they, they, boats weren't balanced like they are today. There wasn't high-tech engineering going into it. So they would put bags of sand in different spots to kind of bring it down into the water and kind of keep it, keep it level and keep it stable. So he's laying on a, on a bag of sand, most likely. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I don't know about you, but I do approach Jesus sometimes like this. Come on, I want a candy bar. No, I just. They're terrified because he just said to them, the kingdom of heaven is like this. He just said, watch out with the measure you use. He just said, it's going to grow. The kingdom's going to grow. There's nothing you can do about it. You can either join it. Or you can ignore it, but it's going to grow nevertheless. Let's go over to where the demons live. And let's cross over the pit of hell on our way where the God, the pagan God of chaos and weather live. So these guys know that when they go from this part of the shore across the lake to the other, to the other shore, in the middle there, the God of the enemies lives. And he's going to try to take them down. And that's exactly what happens. There are several boats. There are many people. They're going along. And they're, they're being swamped. They're just about to go down. And they look in the back. And the one person who said, let's go to enemy territory, the general, he's sleeping. Now, I preach two or three times on a Sunday morning. When I get home, I don't even know my name. I take a nap. He just did the Sermon on the Mount. He's exhausted. People keep coming to him and coming to him and coming to him and coming to him. Heal, 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 heal. Delivered. Boom. I'm tired. So he's sleeping on the boat. And they wake him up. Don't you care if we drown? So they're scared to death that God in Christ is not going to move. He's not going to do anything. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves Shh, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Now, just put yourself there for a second. I know it seems superstitious. It seems, we don't see the, these kind of miracles. We don't, we don't really understand what the terror that they could be feeling. But just for a moment, put yourself in that spot. Absol your boat is swamped, you're going down, and you're not going to survive. If you've ever been on an airplane when, when boom, boom, you know, you hit the turbulence or when one of the engines goes out, I've never been on a plane like that, but I, in Tel Aviv, I was landing there and they, we saw they, they, they'd circled the, they, they, were, they had a circle a couple times before we landed. And when we were looking down, when we were like this and I'm on this side looking down and the, they had scrambled the fire trucks. That'll get your heart going a little bit. 
And then when we did land, it was the hardest landing I've ever been on. It was one of those that land, he came in sideways and boom, and it rocks back and forth. The wingtip almost hits the ground. And so at that point, it wasn't just it'll concern you a little bit and get your heart rate going. It was like, those trucks are for us and I'm going to die. So put yourself in this situation, okay? And then you say to someone who can help, someone who can, Lord, send an angel and hold that plane up, Superman, you know, that kind of, and, and you see that guy on the side of the wing holding you up, and, and then you, aren't you going to go, yes! I mean, Jesus stands up and he says, shush, to chaos and weather, and it obeys him. Don't you think that you would go, You might fall to your knees in the, in the waist-deep water of that boat about ready to go under and just praise God. That's what you would expect. The winds died down. And it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Is that what you expect? They're first they're afraid he's not going to do anything, and then he does, and then they're afraid because he did. So here we go. Before we get to the next section of this passage, let me tell you this. Are you afraid of Jesus? Because he's kind of scary. He doesn't do the easy thing. He doesn't call you to easy things. Remember the lion, the witch in the wardrobe? Remember that when and Susie, I think, uh, she, she asks, she's going to meet Aslan. Aslan represents Christ as an allegory. He represents Christ and he's a lion. And, and Aslan's a lion. Oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall, very British, but I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then Mr. Beaver answers the question and he says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's good. And he's the king. And then he quotes Donald Trump. This I will tell you. Jesus isn't safe. The title of this message is not what we, well, not what we expect, but it really should be Jesus is scary. He will destroy your life in a glorious way, but he will destroy your life because you are not who he wants you to be. He loves you just like you are, but he will not leave you that way. And he's going to call you into dangerous circumstances, into enemy territory to take back territory, to take back. To, he, he wants chaos. He wants to bring order. He wants darkness where there's darkness. He wants to bring in light. And he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Now, granted, this is pre-resurrection. This is pre, Pentecost, before anyone else except for Jesus has the Holy Spirit of God living in them. But he's not who they think he, he's not who they think he is. He's more. And when they land on the shore, something unbelievable happens. Something that, again, it's not what we would expect. See, Jesus has requested several things in these two sections of Scripture. He, help! He helps. He honors that request. You'll see another request that comes up that he honors, and then another one that he honors, and then you'll see one he doesn't. That day when evening came, he came, uh, he said to his disciples, oh, excuse me, they went across the lake 
to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, the Gerasenes, we just talked about that. That's kind of enemy territory where demons live and where people worship demons. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit, notice it says, it's, it's singular right there, uh, came, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind them anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So, look, we don't, you, you've probably seen the movies. This guy's got soot all over his face, torn up clothes, maybe just a loincloth. He's got scratches all over him. His eyes are wild. He's foaming and frothing at the mouth. But we, sit, we look at that and we go, yeah, this is just, okay, it's movies, Hollywood. But this man for years has been chained up and he breaks through the chains. I don't know if he's breaking bones to do that or not, but he's living in the tombs. What does this man eat? He lives in the tombs. He has nothing. And he's a man that everybody knows is categorically insane. And so even though he lives in the land of demons, He's so far gone that they chain him up in the cemetery. He lives in the caves where they bury people. He's so nuts and he's so strong that no one can hold him down. And I know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna push on that for a second. You don't have to believe me, but I promise you, I swear to the holy God of the universe that I am telling you the truth. I have seen demonic possession and oppression. I've smelled sulfur coming out of someone when I prayed for them, me and others. I've seen a woman's eyes go from green to yellow, not the whites of her eyes, the pupils of her eyes. I've seen a person unable to, to, to unloose their tongue and speak. I'm not saying this so that you think, wow, he, I don't like it. But it's real. And if the scriptures are trustworthy to tell us about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if the scriptures are trustworthy to tell us that that Jesus, through his life, through his birth, his life, his teaching, his miracles, his suffering, his trial, his crucifixion, his death, his descension into hell, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to the Father, if you can be forgiven your sins... If the, you know that from Scripture, if the Scripture is reliable to teach you that, then it is reliable to teach you about the otherworldly things that we don't think about and we would rather not have exist. Angels, we just sang of angel armies, and demons. They are real, and their job, their goal, their purpose is to make sure that everything of God is perverted. It's to make sure that you and I are so afraid to go into enemy territory that we're useless. Or that we're so consumed with ourselves that we become useless. That we, that, 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 to try to convince us that Jesus is safe. That his job is to come and make our lives easier. To make our lives feel good. But that is not the Christ of the scriptures. And it's certainly not the Christ of Mark 4 and Mark 5. So here's this demon-possessed man. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. You're thinking, okay, he's going like to like, like, like the leper in Mark 1. Uh, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's what I expect. 
But he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of God, son of the most high God? Swear to the God that you won't torture me. Huh? For Jesus had said to him before, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now, every other time that we know of in scripture, when Jesus tells a demon to leave, they flee. But this is home turf. Jesus is in enemy territory. And he's trying to show the disciples and he's trying to tell us, folks, it's not that, it's not that clean. So there's a conversation with what we believe at this point is a demon, but it turns out to be thousands of them. Jesus said, what's your name? Now, you guys remember the story? We need a little break. I know it's getting intense. You remember the story of Rumpelstiltskin? I remember when I was a kid, I couldn't say that. Rumpelstiltskin, I couldn't do it. Hard word. That, and I still can't say regularly. I have to do it like that. Rumpelstiltskin had power over you if he knew your what? Your name. They, people believe that too. You never give your name to a demon because then he has power over you. And there's still some truth in this power of a name. The, there, it, G, God gave him the name that is above every name. There's something about confessing the name of Christ. When you test spirits, you ask them if Jesus is God in flesh. They, if, if, if they're from God, they must say yes. There's something about that name. It's powerful. Something about your name too. When I was in high school, I didn't want to get out of bed. My mom would come in. She'd go, get up, get up. You're running late. You're running. None of that worked. You got to go to school. Yeah, that's going to help. But if she walked in quietly, she leaned down and whispered, Trent. Because that's me. So Jesus wants to know with all these people around, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. That's home turf. And then Jesus having an argument with a legion of demons. Not what you would expect. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, made a request of him, begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, if you're the sheep or the, uh, the pig herder, how are you feeling about that? Feel like God just blessed you? 2,000 pigs? Now, there is, and Pastor, Andrew, Andrew talked about this this week, that there, there's some evidence that, that, that there were that many pigs run by these herders. Is that what you call people that take care of pigs, herders? Pig farm, muck farmers, okay. Because there were so many, they were probably raising pigs up to feed the Roman army. So there's a political thing possibly going on here too. But I want you to recognize that the only animal that is always considered disgusting, gross, unclean, and not of God to the Jewish mind is a pig. And so here's these unclean spirits in an unclean area of the world having an argument with Jesus. He grants them the request to go into the most unclean animal and those unclean animals dive off a cliff back to hell where they belong. Okay. A little weird. A little strange. But gospel. I don't believe that most of you next week are going to be out by Lake Michigan 
and a herd of pigs and a man with frothy mouth and wild eyes and tattered clothes is going to walk up to you and you're going to have to say, leave and go into the pigs and they're going to run into Lake Michigan. I don't believe that there's going to be 50 of them in Lake Mac. I don't believe that, I don't, I don't think most likely that there's going to be five of them in the little pond behind my house. And I don't think that, that when it gets warm, if it gets warm against next week and you're over at Crestview Golf Course, that there's going to be a guy coming out of the trees on hole 11 and go, ah, you know, all gross and weird. And, and that you're going to have to say, get behind me, Satan, or come out of him. I don't, most of us are not going to be in that kind of a situation. But Jesus is asking us if we're willing to trust him, just like he was showing the disciples that they don't yet. Do something. He does. That scares us. Enemy territory, interacting with a demon, and that kind of power to throw that many pigs into the abyss. Jesus is not safe. He's not who we want him to be. He is who God wants him to be. He is not the simple, easy, safe, make our lives comfortable Jesus that we want him to be. He is who scripture tells us he is. And as the minister of the gospel... As the person that God has chosen to preach these things to you today, I must say, do you trust him to go into enemy territory? See, to trust someone, it's not Webster's definition, it's mine, is to give someone something they can hurt you with and believe that they won't. So as a follower of Christ, as the kingdom of God is taking root and it's it, it, like a mustard plant, it's going to grow up and grow up and grow up. You can try to keep chopping it down, but it's not going to go away. So you're either going to be miserable trying to resist the move of God in your life, or you're going to end up in some scary places. Here's the one request he does not honor. Those ten of the pigs ran off, reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by, by a legion of demons sitting and dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the, to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. And then Jesus began, uh, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. He honored that one. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now he's had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the 10 cities region, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Don't you think that if you were rescued, if your boat sank and you're swimming and someone comes up and they throw you a light, they throw you that life ring and they get you tied to the edge of their boat and you say, hey, let me, let me come to shore with you. Don't you think that they would go, yeah, come on in. We'll get you back. We'll get you a blanket. We'll get you all warmed up. Don't you think that this man who was possessed by thousands of demons, when he says, can I come with you, the one who just saved me, that he would say Yes. That would be the easy thing for this man. Crazy guy, sane, go away. But Jesus says no. He sends the first missionary into enemy territory, and it's the man who was crazy and is now sane. The man who was dirty is now clean. The man who was naked and is now clothed. And he sends him home. 
And it's the first time Jesus tells someone, go tell people about me in the gospel of Mark. So, is Jesus who you want him to be? Or is the Jesus you follow the Jesus of Scripture? The Jesus of Scripture is not what we expect. He's not what the disciples expected. They thought it was going to be a political revolution. They didn't know he was going to be the suffering servant. And if, he's the, if the Jesus you follow is the Christ of the Scriptures then I'm going to tell you, and I, it's my duty to tell you, he's going to call you to unsafe places. He's going to call you to enemy territory. And if you don't go, it's defiance. And if you do, the Holy Spirit comes with you. See, before Pentecost, the only person on the planet that walked around with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Now, the same Spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you. You are the temple. Therefore, wherever you go, that is where God is. And if he says, go, we go. He's not safe, but he's good. See, he will not leave you the way you are, but we want him to. It used to be that our culture liked the church. It used to be that our culture at least paid fake or unreal homage to scripture. Those days are gone, but God's plan is not. The kingdom of God is like a seed that it falls to the ground, it dies, and it starts to grow up, whether the farmer's tending to it or not. God's not done with this world. God's not done with this town. And God's not done with you. And he has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Can't we be people who say, yes, Lord. I'm scared to death, but yes, Lord. Because I would rather be scared to death than have death take me without life that follows. So, it's not what you expect. Jesus can be kind of scary. And he's not finished with this world and he's not finished with you. So, will you participate and cooperate or will you do your best to keep cutting down the mustard plant? Last thing. Jesus will allow you to be, he loves you so much and knows you so well that he will allow you to be as miserable as you choose to be. And I can tell you from experience, the most miserable Christian life is the mediocre one. Because you're always disappointed that Jesus doesn't give you what you want and you never get to see him be the power that he is in the lives of others. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't necessarily mean he'll give you what you want. It means that he might, it might mean that he puts on your heart new desires. 
That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, that which we need. And forgive us our debts, our sins, and trespasses. And will we forgive our debtors, those who have sinned against us, and those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation to be safe or to be useless for your kingdom, but deliver us from the evil one, because yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. Accusation, fear, and condemnation are the weapons the enemy uses. And God is going to send you into enemy territory. And that's what cannot prevail against you. Accusation, fear, and condemnation. But here's the weapons he gives us. We're not supposed to use the same weapons as the enemy. You're supposed to love your enemy. So he says, be patient, kind, be gentle, be merciful and gracious. Love your enemy. Be truth. Don't just tell the truth. Speak when you need to. But love the people that God loves, and that is all people. And even when they want harm to come to you, you respond with peace, patience, kindness. You don't return evil for evil, but evil with kindness. What's the measure? When someone does harm to you, you bless in return. Because it won't be what the enemy expects. He expects us to fall and to say, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And instead, when he hits us, we turn the other cheek. When he wants our clothes, we say, do you want my whole wardrobe? When he says, carry this pack, you say, let me go an extra mile. These are all scriptural things. We don't have to be fearful, but he does call us to be faithful. So let us be a people who say, yes, Lord, when he tells us to go. And you know what? He tells us to go. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. So look on God's face and God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.